Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. On today's program of Accent of Women, we hear from Iranian women about their challenges with the COVID pandemic and the shadow pandemic, gender-based violence. Today's panellists are Suna Kazami, a research fellow of Migration Studies, Disability Studies and Medical Humanities at The Ohio State University. But first up, Suda Farhonya, a women's rights activist and community organiser for more than 20 years. She's also one of the co-founders of the Iranian Circle of Women's Intercultural Network. Good morning, good afternoon, everyone from wherever in the world you are joining us today. Um, in a briefing prepared to, uh, to highlight the impact of sanctions on Iranian citizens, uh, the International Civil Action Network, I can warn that women face particular stresses during hard times, uh, citing patterns observed in Iraq during the 1990s. They found that women and girls were more likely to be withdrawn from education in order to help support their families or to be married off in order to remove the burden of feeding them. Um, In fact, um, the reduction in the family income uh, has uh, forced women into coping strategies uh, such as cutting back their own health, well-being and dietary needs um, as well as uh, most vulnerable have been pushed into poverty and the survival strategies as child marriage, child labor, and sex work has expanded in Iran. Um, In fact, uh, the impact of COVID-19 pandemic can vividly be seen on education, employment, and safety of women and girls. Due to the class uh, structure of Iran and class differences that are increasing by day, um, the access to the educational facilities is neither equal nor equitable in Iran. Um, There are geographical obstacles, uh, such as limited access to internet, tablets, phones, and government system programs like free internet packages. Hence, students in smaller cities are disadvantaged, and specifically girls are left in the dust. Um, Imagine, a family has several children, um, only one TV, only one computer in the house with limited access to internet, while the girl or the girls in the family don't get priority, neither they get enough screen time. There are also uh, almost 250,000 nomadic tribal children who don't even have access to electricity or smart communication devices due to their lifestyles, as well as those with foreign nationality, refugees and students that are living in the remote areas, uh, all have lost their uh, access to the education. According to the latest uh, news published in Iranian publications, 89% of the Iranian students have registered in the SHAD system. SHAD system is a distance education system for Iranian students uh, through television that was set up during the pandemic. However, according to some Iranian teachers, due to internet issues and shortcomings of the SHAD system, the quality of education has dropped Many girls have dropped out of school, teachers have lost their jobs, and pressure has mounted on women because not only now they have to care for children and support their educational needs, they've also were the first to lose their jobs. Therefore, additional financial is just a spiral of issues. 
And um, another very delicate issue is the reduction of the interpersonal connection between children and their um, teachers. Before, not that the before children were not subject to violence, but uh, uh, teachers were able to observe them. Uh, the children felt comfortable to speak out at times with their uh, teachers, but now their uh, interactions just limited to their homeworks. Well, this moment of global pandemic uh, offers an unusual opportunity, just as it has many obstacles. And the, there is opportunity for cooperation. Um, despite the mutual hostility, the US and Iran are on the same side of a war that has taken so many lives, more, more than half a million in US, more than 60,000 in Iran, although the unofficial numbers are three or four times more than that. And, uh, and we've seen that the political atmosphere has sharply changed in US. However, moving from estrangement to engagement is going to be um, very challenging and it would require mutual respect and mutual uh, trust and um, a lot of negotiation skills. Uh, I'd like to point out specifically the impact uh, uh, or the unintended impacts of perhaps sanctions. Although sanctions are considered to be a more humane option to war, supposedly pressuring industries and persons and leaving uh, ordinary uh, citizens out of it. Despite the rhetoric, there are several unintended consequences of the current sanction schemes of the United States. First, the greatest impact to date has to come as a result of the stringent sanctions imposed on the US um, against international banks. Well, the international banks uh, provide two different things. One is that, you know, uh, it's how they will be able to, Iran would be able to pay for medication, for vaccines. Uh, and the other is to be able to be able to get loans. And the third is the fact that due to the sanction, Riyal has lost its value sharply. And uh, the one impact is that, of course, that the living costs are increasing, but the corresponding uh, average salaries are not. And therefore many women who are head of households have been squeezed into poverty. Um, second impact uh, on, on the on women families is because of the sanctions, the government has been taking some sudden and drastic actions. Uh, well, even though public has been protesting and I'm sure you've heard it on the news, but um, Iran ha government has been selling off natural resources such as enriched soil, has been giving you know, long-term uh, rights to the fishery rights in the Persian Gulf, um, selling electricity to China for development of Bitcoins, which leaves average Iranians without power or access to internet. Um, and third and most notable, of, of course, is the impact on the COVID-19 response. Uh, and Iran uh, was already at its weakest economic stage since the Iran-Iraq war had ended three decades ago. And uh, you know, and instead of U.S. trying to help stop the spread of the virus in the region, uh, you, you know, the U.S. government piled on more sanctions. The challenges of the pandemic uh, made it more important that the civil organizations and charities need to play a role. 
many institutions did their best to meet the needs of the Iranian students to continue their education and provide safe healthcare to the population. Um, despite the shortage of the medical supplies in April and May of 2020, Iran was able to cut the fatalities by half. However, Iran was also the first, one of the first countries to open up their economy altogether uh, in order to avoid, uh, you know, complete bankruptcy. And um, this is where the um, civil society really came in and pulled through. While even in U.S., hospitals were facing tremendous shortage in medical supplies, several Iranian-American NGOs, such as Mothers Against Poverty, Iranian-American Medical Association, Keep Children's School, ICWIN, and many others formed the HUREC Coalition, um, which was committed to raise funds, purchase medical supplies, distribute them directly outside of the government um, uh, channels uh, by using uh, volunteers and sister organization and delivering them to the most needed um, you know, places in, around the uh, country. And I had the privilege of being the independent auditor of that project and making sure that um, every dollar is accounted for, which is of course an OFAC requirement as well. Uh, in addition, some of the projects that were already ongoing um, uh, as far as distribution of tablets with pre-programmed educational programs and satellite access had to be um, accelerated. Um, fundraisings have been done for a program called TechYAR. Uh, YAR means friend in Farsi, so TechYAR is to be a friend to technology. And um, many affluent um, Iranian Americans in Silicon Valleys and allies have been really contributing to this project. It's important to point out that the shipment of medicines to Iran is not under the sanction, but the impairment of the use of the central banks is. And even though the US sanctions may have been unilateral, but the chilling effect of it has been global. Um, in Iran, healthcare workers and doctors are dying in hospitals overwhelmed with COVID patients. Women make up 70% of the workforce that is providing healthcare, adult care, childcare, and they are at the forefront of the uh, combat against uh, COVID-19. Uh, by US giving uh, companies the clarity and support that they need to engage with the Iranian market freely without any punitive actions, um, and in the event that sanctions are rela uh, relaxed or lifted, it would be a critical step to ensuring that economic benefits are for all sides and allowing for women and children and civil society in Iran to flourish. In exchange, um, the international community should require that Iranian government commit to a process of equitable distribution of vaccines and provide access to Red Cross and World Health Organization to facilitate the distribution. And the sooner the pandemic is managed, the sooner we can identify the depth of the impact of pandemic on women and girls and begin the process of healing. Thank you so much. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. We're hearing from Iranian women about their challenges with the COVID pandemic and the shadow pandemic gender-based violence. Our next speaker is Suna Kazami, a research fellow of Migration Studies, Disability Studies and Medical Humanities at The Ohio State University. 
Sunna researches the living conditions of people who become injured or disabled as a result of wars, incarceration, torture, gendered violence, punitive limb amputation, genocide and political instability in the Middle East, namely Iran, Saudi Arabia, Iraq and Syria, Kurdistan. Hi, thank you so much uh, for inviting me and thank you all the panelists and attendees. My research area is um, disability and disablement in different contexts, uh, mostly where, uh, in Iran and where uh, Sharia law is like the dominant, um, basically, rhetoric in the judiciary system. So before I get into how uh, COVID has impacted the, the lives of my research participants, or rather uh, a lot of disabled folks in Iran, including a lot of disabled women, um, I just need to define a couple of things before I start describing the situation. And that is a couple of words. See, when we talk about discrimination against the women and LGBT, we use the word sexism. We, We use the word gender equality when we want to name that this is the violence that's happening against this particular population because of their uh, sexual orientation or because of their gender or because of their sex. Um, we know what to call that. We call that sexism, that, that is obvious. Or when there's discrimination against um, black, indigenous or people of color, we know what to call that. It's called racism. But when it comes to disabled people, sometimes we don't know what to call it. What is the discrimination against Disabled people, what do you call that? That is called ableism. Able, like A-B-L-E-I-S-M. So that is the ism. So I just thought I'd define that first. So ableism means looking at the able-bodied individual or um, non-disabled folks, as we call them, and see their bodies somehow more valuable than disabled people's bodies. Well, unfortunately, in so many communities and cultures, I can say almost every culture, that is considered common sense. Well, pandemic hit, we don't have enough ventilators in the the hospital, so of course we're going to give it to the non-disabled people first because disabled people's lives worth less. Unfortunately, this is the ableist logic that exists in the medical establishment, exists in cultures, and it is very unfortunate. I have had conversations with doctors inside and outside Iran that have said to me, well, you know, it's very unfortunate, but when we have a disabled person and a non-disabled person, we automatically go to to give the ventilator to the non-disabled person. Or if we have an elderly and a younger person, we automatically think the elderly person's life is worth less. So this person has a long life ahead of them, so let's give the ventilator to this young person. These logics are discriminatory and wrong. They are unethical. And it is very important that we have a name for it so we can call it something. Another example that I can give you is the eugenics logic. Remember um, when the Nazi uh, crimes were taking place during the Holocaust, a lot of disabled folks were put into the gas chambers. A lot of members of the LGBT, along with um, Romas and communists and Jews and a lot of minorities were put into gas chambers. So um, it is very important to realize that this eugenics logic, eugenics meaning um, seeing the the better genes in a certain population and ignoring the rest. So this is a Nazi logic, but it's unfortunately everywhere. Sweden, for instance, practiced eugenics until the 70s. 
Um, many countries have engaged in sterilizing disabled people, seeing their lives worthless, so on and so forth. So I, it's just important. I just thought this foundation is really necessary. And when we talk about disabled people's lives, especially during a global uh, crisis like, like the COVID-19, we realize that uh, their lives automatically thought of as less valuable. So this is, this is the biggest challenge disabled people have faced. One. The second point that I would like to emphasize is that after one year in the isolation, we all know how terrible it is. We all know what it does with our psyche. We all know what it does with our mental health. We, we all know what anxiety and depression do to us now that we have to be in the quarantine. So now it's a good time to reflect and think what happens to a lot of people in psychiatric institutions who are behind bars according to this carceral, carceral logics that disabled people should be contained, should be disciplined, should be put away, should be segregated. We have leper colonies, for example. Iran has leper Iran has two leper colonies, one in Baba Bari, um, near Tabriz, where I'm from, and we have another one near the city of Neishabur, um, uh, in the northeast corner of Iran. Um, you might think that leper colonies have been long eradicated. That's not true. There are leper colonies around the world where people with leprosy live and they don't have to because leprosy is not contagious. We all know that. But it's still the, the, the assumption is that hmm, you have leprosy, so you should be put away. But we know now what it does to people. So maybe it's time to rethink all those logics of um, incarceration. For example, we have a lot of disabled people within the carceral system inside Iran, outside Iran, all over the world, we have people in prison that uh, a lot of these people are disabled people. A lot of these people behind bars are actually people with mental health concerns who will not be rehabilitated behind bars. They will only get worse. So it's time to rethink all those assumptions. And coming to the point, I know we don't have much time, um, I would like to discuss the living conditions of disabled people in Iran before and during the pandemic. Iran is a signatory to the UN Convention of Rights of Disabled People. Uh, there is a convention, Iran is a signatory of that, but a, like many other things that Iran is a signatory of, uh, Iran does not abide by the, the items on, on that convention. Uh, for instance, um, on the CRPO, we have that um, there, there has to be no discrimination against disabled people for employment, for, for accessing housing, for accessing um, social services, medical care. But that's unfortunately not true. Um, disabled people, the moment they, they want to leave their house, they, um, they run into steps. There's very inaccessible buildings. There's inaccessible streets, even for war veterans or uh, civilians who, who, who became disabled during the Iran-Iraq war, um, the streets are still very inaccessible. So that is that. I mean, leaving the house is like a big deal, which again, adds to the isolation. And now during the pandemic gets even worse because you cannot leave your house. But besides that, uh, there is uh, the welfare organization in Iran, because as we know, disability uh, should always have a relationship to the nation state. Otherwise, disabled people cannot survive. And that's the whole point of disability. Well, not the whole point, but some aspect of the disability rights movement has always been to push the government, to push the state, to create and sustain a good relationship with its disabled population, because that's the whole point of a state. Why do we need a state if a state doesn't protect its citizens, especially the most vulnerable ones? 
But the Islamic Republic of Iran has failed dramatically in supporting its disabled population. Uh, it has drastically failed to support its um, disabled war veterans who are supposed to be war heroes, never mind uh, women who um, experience a systematic uh, abuse and under gender apartheid regime of the Islamic Republic, where um, access to a lot of things are hindered, they're just segregated, um, everything is segregated for women, uh, there's mandatory hijab laws that are oppressive and so on and so forth that, um, I mean, you all know. But what is really important here is that the welfare organization, which is called Behzisti in Iran, that is supposed to provide services for disabled people, supports such a minimum amount even before these sanctions, from, from its inception. It has provided very, very little for the disabled people and has seen them as less valuable. A lot of people that I work with are acid attack survivors. There are women who become, uh, who have become disabled as um, as uh, 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 as part of an attack, an acid attack, which is a misogynist, um, uh, sexist um, attack that usually happens to women. It also happens to men sometimes, but mostly to women. And uh, a lot of these people have become disfigured and um, disabled and blind. So now, uh, suddenly, after 30 years of uh, being a sighted individual, um, um, they have become blind. So now they suddenly have to belong to so, to someone, to, to, to some organization to support them and to help them. And disabled people really rely on these uh, community building efforts uh, because it's a grassroots movement. Otherwise, going back to my first point, this is eugenics logic. No one, no one would want them, right? Because of that ableist culture that exists everywhere, including Iranians. Um, so one example is uh, touching. Like for example, imagine a woman who has become blind now is navigating the world through touch and through smelling and hearing and not sight. And suddenly we say, don't touch anything. It's the COVID era. So how is she supposed to navigate? How, how, is, she, how is she supposed to touch the elevator buttons? How is she supposed to touch the, touch the rail in the subway? How, we, how is she supposed to get around? Uh, one particular woman that I worked with uh, had become blind uh, as a result of an acid attack and um, went into a pottery class, you know, pottery making, and she became so good at it that she started teaching pottery to others. And um, as soon as COVID hit, she lost her job um, and um, she totally relies on volunteers and grassroots you know, charities that thanks the Islamic Republic also closed down on charities because it's so afraid of civil uh, civil organizations and civil like Imam Ali, which is um, Imam Ali, um, a charity that was closed down recently um, as one of the charities that was supporting people. It is really important that we understand whenever civil society is attacked, which has been attacked for the past 42 years under this regime, is that disabled people are the first number one hit. Uh, they are hit the hardest because often they rely on these services to survive. Uh, besides that, there has been um, so much violence to uh, that deaf people have had to endure because a lot of deaf people in Iran uh, read your lips when they speak with you because you don't sign, because you don't speak their language. They, they sign, they use sign language, you don't. And when they want to talk to you, you are wearing a mask, so they cannot read your lips. Uh, so it's very difficult for deaf and hard of hearing people to, to, to see, um, to, to read your lips and see what you're saying. So that is lack of communication and lack of communication is um, uh, terrible for your mental health because you, you can't connect, you, you, go, you become more depressed and this is the pandemic. So it's really, really important to think about all those aspects 
um, or losing one's job. I mean, it's very hard for disabled people to find a job in the first place because of discrimination that exists. And even if there is no discrimination, there's a still ableist attitudes. Uh, the people don't want to hire disabled people because the, 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 the assumption is that, hmm, disabled people will not work efficiently, as efficiently as I want them to. So these are ableist assumptions that exist in the in the society and they need to be eradicated if we are to think about having a more inclusive uh, society for, for everyone. And again, um, I think I need to to wrap up. And again, I, I just want to emphasize one more time that the welfare organization in Iran that is supposed to provide for the disabled people has been paying them very, very little money. It's it, it's funny if I give you the amount. It's, it's a funny amount. It's so little. And these people uh, rely on people, grassroots uh, uh, organization and real people and volunteers to survive. So if you have a disabled neighbor, if you have a disabled family member, don't forget to check on them, see what they need. Um, be with them and it's time to rethink um, to to abolish all uh, psychiatric institutions and prisons. That was Suna Kazemi, a research fellow of Migration Studies, Disability Studies and Medical Humanities at The Ohio State University. And before her, Suda Farkhonya, a women's rights activist and community organizer for more than 20 years and one of the co-founders of Iranian Circle of Women's Intercultural Network. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kanjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.